You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. I want to be honest with you again. This whole sermon series, I've been seeing uh, the, the wisdom, like the, the, the sermon slide, it says wisdom lit on there. And every time I'm like, as the kids are saying these days, wisdom is lit. <laughs> it's like, are you woke to how wisdom, how lit this wisdom is? It's fire. It's fire. I hear that's what kids are saying these days, at least one of them in my youth group. So, I don't know if I'll say that all the time. But, anyways, I'm excited about being a dad, eventually, of teenagers. Alright, I'm a dad right now of a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And usually they, they beat me out of bed, if on the weekends at least. But as, a teenage, as teenagers, I'm, I'm kind of assuming that when they are laying in their beds on Saturday mornings, I can go in there and quote Proverbs 6, 9 to them. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? I'm excited about that. I really am. <laughs> My dad didn't do that. But he definitely did not let me sleep in. Um, when I was in grade six, I had my, my first job, and I was working for a neighbor on his farm, on his chicken farm. And so after schools on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I had to go do chores. And on Saturdays, I had to be at my neighbor's barn at 8 o'clock in the morning. So I had to get out of bed to do that. And thankfully, my dad was usually pretty good. He actually made me breakfast most Saturday mornings, like eggs, before I went in picked eggs from these chickens. So, But weekdays, when I was in high school, my dad started his own chicken barn because he thought that was a great idea to keep me busy. And so he started his own. <laughs> and I had to, so my dad came in every weekday morning because I had chores to do before I went to school. And my dad would just simply turn on my room light and say, morning, and then walk out. And I'm like, ah. I have to get up now, I guess. But he had to wake me up at about 6.15 so that I had time to get outside to the chicken barn at 6.30 so that I could simply stand there and wait for a conveyor, like a feed conveyor belt to turn on because it was on a timer. But I had to wait there and then flick a switch so that the feed would actually come down the auger. And now that I think about it as an older person, I'm just like, why wasn't that switch on a timer? Why? Everything else in his barn was pretty automated. It was pretty high-tech, like pretty low-maintenance. But that one switch? Really, Dad? You couldn't put that on a timer? But I think it was just a ploy to get me out of bed. I really do. He didn't let me be a sluggard, even if I really wanted to be. And I did want to be a sluggard. But I think in the long run, now that I look back, I think it served me pretty good. That work ethic that he, he put into me. Anyways, in the Bible, the word sluggard is a good one, and it's used actually 14 times, all of which are in the book of Proverbs. You know, we don't use that word very often anymore, right? I don't know, do you, does anybody use the word sluggard in day-to-day conversation? <laughs> the last couple of weeks I have, yes, because I've been thinking about it. But, you know, what? You know, we don't... We don't call people sluggards anymore, but I think we should use it more often. We should use it, you know, kind of in the same vein as we use the word hullabaloo. 
that's a good word, or rapscallion, you know, good words like that. Anyways, the word sluggard means lazy or slow-moving person, kind of like a slug. All right, so that, you know, you kind of get that picture of sluggard, lazy person. It kind of goes together. Uh, the King James version, uh, the word slothful or sloth is used. Uh, the New Living Translation uh, goes with lazy bones, and Common English Bible goes with lazy person. And so, yeah, it, you kind of get the idea. It's, it's a lazy, slow-moving person. And as I've said, however you say it, laziness or sluggishness is not a good thing. It's not painted in a very good light in the book of Proverbs. Um, it's used to describe someone who really doesn't amount to anything with, with their life. And so, in Proverbs 6, 6 to 11, the sluggard is told to look at the ants and consider their ways. And it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs 26.14 says, As the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. And Proverbs 19.24 paints a very vivid picture. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Oh, it's just so lazy. And so a lazy person sleeps too much. He's not even motivated to take his hand out of the dish of food. <laughs> Brings to mind that picture. <laughs> you know... Like, what's he going to do when he finishes that one cheesy? Like, the rest are going to be out of reach then. No, that's not me. <laughs> I have a beard. <laughs> so, more than just lazy around the house, a slugger doesn't work or doesn't even want to work, but yet he somehow still expects results. In Proverbs 20, verse 4, it states that a slugger does not plow in the autumn, but he will seek at harvest and have nothing. He still seeks, though. He still thinks somehow stuff will appear so that he can, you know, have, have money and all that sort of thing. And because he doesn't like to work, he makes up really outlandish excuses for not working. In Proverbs 22.13 it says, The sluggard says, There's a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. He doesn't want to leave the house, and so he makes up these crazy excuses. I think, in some ways, it would be someone like living here in Lethbridge saying, Well, there might be a tsunami down on Up Drive. I think I should stay inside. Really? Come on. <laughs> you know, these, these excuses just so that he can somehow justify in his mind that he doesn't have to work. And a sluggard is no fun to work with, either. And according to Proverbs 10.26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. And so as a messenger, as someone who is sent to do a task, it's just annoying to work with someone like this, right? And I don't know, maybe maybe we're, we're feeling like we're that or we work with someone like that, but it's just annoying because you're just like constantly like, come on, let's, let's get this job done, let's do this. 
It's annoying to get them to work or to do anything. But I think more than all these issues, there, there is actually a deeper, more serious issue at hand than we might think. Uh, one way that Solomon, who wrote most of the book of Proverbs, warns his son against laziness is by contrasting a sluggard with someone on the opposite side of the, that spectrum. In Proverbs 13.4, Solomon writes, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So there's these two opposites here, a sluggard versus the diligent person. And there's a few other verses, but it, it says if you are diligent in your work, in your life, you'll be richly supplied. While the lazy person who still craves and desires things ends up with nothing. And in, in stronger language, Proverbs 21-25 says the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Proverbs 10.4 a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. In Proverbs 10, 24, 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. The slacker and the slothful will not amount to much in life. They will have plans, but they won't amount to anything because they refuse to work for them. The diligent, however, is painted as a person who is conscientious in their work, who cares about the state of their work, and puts themselves, or who cares, yeah, sorry, who cares about the state of their work and puts themselves wholeheartedly to the task ahead of them. They're skillful in what they do because they care and they want to get better at it, and so they practice. It doesn't matter what it is, a diligent person will get better because they're industrious. They study. And then they go forward with purpose. And the outcome of that diligence, of that perseverance, is that a diligent person becomes skillful in what he does. Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings, and he will not stand before obscure men. A skillful person will be noticed and rewarded, and they will be recognized for their good work. On the other hand, a lazy person will not be recognized. They may desire it again. As I've said before, they may desire it and they may crave attention. They won't work to get there. Well, thank you. That was very diligent of you, John. Right on. They won't do anything to try to achieve the goals that they may have. Another person that is in opposition to a sluggard is the upright or the righteous. In Proverbs 15, 19, this is an interesting verse. It says, The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. A sluggard finds even the easiest things difficult and full of obstacles, but the righteous will walk on a straight path. And I found this, this verse to be very important. Because out of all the verse that talks about laziness in, in the book of Proverbs, this is the one that has a direct contrast with righteousness. Sluggardliness versus righteousness. With that in mind, I find that this verse is very telling of what Solomon truly thought about laziness. And these, are, these are hard words, but it says, it means that it lies in direct opposition to being holy. 
In other words, being a sluggard is being sinful. Being lazy is a choice, and it's a path that leads us away from God, away from holiness. And on the other hand, if we choose diligence and uprightness, we choose godliness and we choose holiness. If we choose to work, we walk on a path that leads toward God. So I want to give a few thoughts about how work is a good thing. And in fact, a godly thing with a purpose much deeper than just giving us something to do all day. The first verse in the Bible is where we start in these thoughts. It says in Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God created or crafted or he worked, right? God worked in his creation of the world. In the first two chapters of Genesis, it tells the story of creation and how God worked and created for six days. And then, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God himself worked and then he rested. And that tells us right there that that work is something that God himself does and also that there's nothing wrong with resting which is pretty key as well. And in fact, we are commanded to keep the Sabbath. God made the seventh day holy, and he himself rested. And so he gives us that command to keep a Sabbath, to rest. Part of the Sabbath is is resting from our labor. Furthermore, when God made Adam, in Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Who likes gardening? Is there some gardeners in there? Yeah, I don't. I don't think I... But I find this its an interesting thing to think about. Like, I, I was thinking last night, like, was there weeds in the Garden of Eden? I don't know. I don't think that... But I think weeds is kind of like this thing that we put on a, a, a man-made construction. We put on certain plants. Maybe there was things that we would consider weeds, but Adam was like, cool, it's a plant. I can take care of it. You know, I don't know. But I think gardening and taking care of the Garden of Eden would be pretty extraordinary. Because this was before sin entered the world. And so we would have to take a guess at what work actually looked like. Right? Because the work that we are familiar with is work tainted by sin and our sinful nature. But work back then, it would have would have been different, I have to say. I think it would have been much different and probably much better. (laughs) Work would have been different then, but because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve when they ate the fruit that God commanded them not to, something changed. Work became hard for Adam. Work which was part of God's character and which was given to us as part of our purpose here on earth all of a sudden became hard. When God spoke to Adam in Genesis 3, after they had, Adam and Eve had sinned, they had been tempted by the serpent and they sinned, he made it clear that Adam's working of the ground was no longer going to be easy. And it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out 
for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. All of a sudden work becomes something we recognize, right? By the sweat and toiling we are to live in. Things like thorns and thistles, both real and metaphorically, you know, unless you're a farmer or a gardener, you know, having an office job, you're probably not pulling thorns and thistles out of the paperwork that you're doing. But metaphorically, work becomes challenging. Work becomes hard, no matter what that might be. It makes sense then, in my mind, that work, which was good, or is good, and ordained by God, but now is hard, becomes something that we don't want to do. We don't want to do work. We want to be lazy. Our sinful nature doesn't want to do things that are honoring and pleasing to God. And being a sluggard is a temptation to us all that we all must resist. As I'm sure you've all noticed in your working life, work isn't always fun. We don't always go to work with a smile on our face. We don't, it doesn't always go the way we want it to. And we definitely don't always get the results that we want from it. We don't get satisfaction from it all the time. And we definitely aren't happy with what we're doing. It seems we've all complained about work, right? We all dream of having the, the dream job where we could just do what we love and get paid for it. And I'm sorry to say, that just that's not real life sometimes. And so we toil on. We toil on, we sweat, because, lo and behold, we still need to work so that we can provide for ourselves and our families. But here's the thing, though. God, as I've already said, He worked. All right, when He looked at His creation, us, and the rest of the world that He created, He thought it was good. He thought it was very good. There's joy and happiness as he looked at what he had done. And since then, God hasn't stopped working. It's not like he worked for six days back in the day and then just like has been sitting for the rest of, the, of time. It says he continues to work in his creation. Philippians 2.13 says that it is God who works in you, in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God continues to work in us, in our hearts. And it brings him pleasure, it brings him joy to see us changed, to become more like him, to follow him down that path of holiness. And we talk about Jesus' work on the cross and what that means to us. Even through the brutality of death on the cross, Jesus found joy in that. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says... Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He worked. He did work on the cross. And he endured it so that he would have joy. That gave him joy. All this to say, God's work does bring him joy. His initial work in creation and his continuing work to sustain us. I believe that because we are made in God's image, and God put us here for a purpose, and because we are seeking to follow God, we too should have joy in our work. Firstly, we should find joy in the fact that we can provide for ourselves and our families, that God has given us that opportunity. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, Paul says to the Thessalonian church, Live quietly to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one 
to work so you can provide for yourself. We need to work. And we need to take joy in the fact that we can work. That God has given us an opportunity to work. Secondly, we should find joy in the generosity that work can bring about. In Ephesians 4, as Paul is talking about the new life in Christ, how Christ changes us from evil practices and fruitless endeavors to something so much greater through the grace that he gives us. And in verse 28 he writes this, But the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so a thief who used to take from other people's what wasn't his should now work honestly so that he can give to other people, so he can share with other people. And likewise, we as well should be joyful in the sharing of the results, the fruit of our labor with other people. Give thanks to God that you can share with people and be generous with your time and with your money. And finally, we should find joy because whatever we find ourselves doing, work or just life in general, or whatever we find ourselves doing, we should be doing it for God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians 3.17, and a few verses later it says, Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. Work is an act of worship to God. And in it we should be thanking God for it. We should be working wholeheartedly to please God. Don't be a sluggard and disregard what God has put us on earth to do. Whatever you do, whatever you find yourself doing, do it for God. Not just the good, the fun things, but the everyday mundane tasks that we have to do at our jobs and our lives. Give thanks 